good morning everybody. I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning. We're going to take a little diversion. We've been going through the book of Exodus, but you know, as we watch the world take a new course, it's always been on that course, but now becoming more and more evident, even to people outside of those who know anything about the Bible, I believe that it's really important that all of you realize the days that we're in. There is a theology out that was promoted by many people years ago called replacement theology. And what this basically says is that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. God has no more to do with Israel than he does with Brazil. And now God solely deals with the church. The problem with that, it's not theologically sound. In other words, Paul says that we were grafted in to the promises of God, not replacing the nation of Israel. If you want to know prophetically where we're at in this world, and I think if you've got um, uh, got any concern at all what's going on in the world, you're going to say, what is happening? Friends, we're about to see changes in our country that we have never seen before. Now, this is not conspiratorial. This is absolute fact. We realize that we, our nation, must diminish for the new world order to happen. And we know the Bible clearly teaches us about this. There's going to be a man that's going to come on the world scene. He's going to be hailed as, God, as the world's Messiah. He's going to be able to fix the problems that face man. The world will call him a Messiah, but the Bible calls him a false Messiah. He will unite the world through religion. As we see oftentimes the bumper stickers that say Chrislam or coexist and the different religious symbols of all the different religions. But the Bible says he's the Antichrist. And though he unites the world with a common monetary system and unites the world with a common belief system, the whole idea is three and a half years into what we call the tribulation period, this seven-year period of time in which God deals with the nation of Israel and judges an ungodly world. Three and a half years into the Antichrist reign, he scraps the very religious system that he made and declares to the world that he is God and must be worshipped as such. When we realize that these prophecies that were in the Bible were made at a time as an example when Jerusalem was under Roman control in Luke chapter 21, Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. A Gentile is anyone that is not Jewish, to let you know. Well, what we find today is Jerusalem is 100% under Jewish control. When Jesus made that prediction, remember, Jerusalem was under Roman control. So even at the time of when it was said, seemed to be a little weird. But then in 70 AD, a Roman general, because of Israel's continual rebellion, and that day that Jesus, when he was carrying his cross up to Golgotha, fell under the weight, and they were all weeping. He said, don't weep for me, weep for your children. And as he saw that day in 70 AD, when the city of Jerusalem would be burnt, destroyed, pulled down, and obliterated, he said, don't weep for me, weep for your children. The prophecy that Jesus made that Jerusalem would come under Jewish control after 70 AD is now ridiculous. That can't be. Jerusalem is torn down. The nation of Israel is scattered amongst the nations. That prophecy, if you look and look at some of those older commentaries of the Bible, some really good ones like Matthew Henry, written around 1700 AD, he said it appears that the nation of Israel will once again be in existence. 
And Jerusalem will be the capital, but I don't see how that could ever be. It's true. It was obliterated. It was lost among the nations. Interestingly enough, the Bible addresses this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. God spoke to Ezekiel and said to him, as he showed him a big valley full of dry bones. And God said to Ezekiel, can these bones be made to live again? Ezekiel looked at the Lord and said, thou knowest. In other words, beats me. He said, prophesy to these bones. And as he began to speak to him, there was a rattling, the Bible says, and a shaking, and the bones came together. And he said, prophesy, O men, that skin would come upon them and muscle. And, and all that happened. And they stood up. And he says, so is the nation of Israel that has been scattered among the nations. In the last day, I will bring them back into their homeland. Well, now that they're back into their homeland in Ezekiel 37, now what happens? Again, Israel is God's timepiece. It isn't the fall of the United States or the euro uh, or, or the American dollar. It's the nation of Israel. Now we see our own nation in decline. Friends, I don't think you have to be too with it to understand that. We are staggering right now over $30 trillion in debt. The world standard of currency right now is the American dollar. That's what's promoting us. That's what's allowing us to stay afloat in the lifestyle that we've all enjoyed here. But friends, that is going to change. When you have a dollar that has no gold backing, no GDP backing it, it's just printed money. It's printed paper. People have often said and made fun, they said, well, you know, the Bible says, and it actually doesn't, a piece of bread will buy a bag of gold. You may have heard that. That's, that line actually came out of an old Larry Norman song years ago. But the point is simply this. If a bag of gold will buy a piece of bread, what do you think a paper dollar is going to buy you? And now all of a sudden, I want you to start thinking heavenly. I want you to start thinking about eternity. You see, the things that we see, the Bible says, are but a vapor. They're here, we're here for a short time, and then we're gone. When you stop to realize that you are not evolved sludge when lightning hit a swamp, but you're actually endowed by a creator that God put you on this planet for a specific purpose. I've shared this so many times. Nobody has ever been like you on this earth ever before, and there'll never be anyone like you on this earth ever again. God has specifically called you for this time. We want to be usable in the hands of God. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to share with you a couple of quick things, and then we'll go back and address um, where we're all at globally right now. You're a gambler because you have no promise that you're going to be alive tomorrow. I have found, as I look at the obituary columns, as I've done literally hundreds of funeral services in my life as a pastor, some old, yes, at the end of their life, but I have done babies, I have done small children, I have, I have uh, uh, officiated services over teenagers, over people in their 20s, 40s, 50s, and on. Tomorrow is not promised to us. And when you realize that you cannot hold on to the future, but God has promised you an eternity of your sins forgiven that doesn't chase you through the quarters of time. You say, what do you mean by that? Do you realize when you die, while we're on this earth, we set in motion things. You can set in motion good things. You can set in motion bad things. But you realize when you die, just because you're gone doesn't stop those things that were put into motion. Think of the person that started a cult. Maybe there was only 25, 30 people when it started. Now there's millions. Can you imagine the judgment of God on that kind of a person? 
Persons that deliberately spread lies, though they're dead, that lie continues to go on and hurt people. You see, your sins need to be forgiven. The law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws were never meant to justify us. Well, if I just keep all these rules, I'll be cool. We can't. In fact, the Bible says it's not within us to live righteously. Yes, we're all bozos on this bus. Now, when you stop to think about that, we needed somebody to make the religious requirements, which Jesus Christ did. He died in our place, and that's transposed. That righteousness is placed upon us. Now, Paul says, put on Christ like you'd put on a winter coat. I always use that illustration because being in Idaho, winter coats become a very close thing to our hearts and lives, doesn't it? Isn't it bad when you get a a 60 degree day, we go, oh, it's so wonderful out here. It's, it's so wonderful. What's that bright giant orange fireball in the sky? You know what I mean? We don't see it that often. But when we see that, we realize what really is going on in this world. God has a purpose for us, but we'll never know what that purpose is when we're carrying around the baggage of our past, that sin. So God says, you're not going to need a psychologist anymore. You're not going to need to drink or get altered. You don't got to go bong your way out someplace to somehow feel good about yourself because you know your sins are chasing you down through those quarters of time. Now for the first time, you can be who you are in Him. And you can be about your Father's business. Now, how critical is this? Well, you know, we've talked about Noah in the ark. Over a hundred years, Noah worked on this boat. Now, there's a lot of ingredients in here we won't go into, like the rate of decay before the flood versus after the flood, because many of us realize that if you were working on something wood over a period of a hundred years, one end would rot out before you finish the other end. So we realized it was probably a different rate of decay, probably why carbon-14 dating is all skewed, and they know it is. But you know, here a guy's building a boat. And then one day, all kinds of animals that you haven't seen before start showing up. And they start getting on this boat. And you would think to yourself, hey, that's something you don't see every day. Why are those animals getting on this boat? And Noah's been telling everybody it's going to rain. We don't know what rain is. The Bible says the earth was watered by a mist in the morning. And they're getting on the boat. Noah says, you can get on the boat too if you want. And they just mocked him. They laughed at him. They failed to interpret the data at hand. God is never without a witness whether it be people or events. I think the events, if nothing else, seeing the animals get on the ark would have caused me to say, hmm, that's kind of weird. But they didn't listen. We know that God shut the door. I think God shut the door for a couple of reasons. Number one, that Noah wouldn't feel guilty about hearing the people scream as they wanted to get into the ark, being that now everything was floating. I believe God shut the door to let people know that there is a time in which it's too late. But God's the one, the Bible says, that shut the door of the ark. Interesting. Well, as we look now, where are we at today? Now, remember, only the Bible has prophecy in it. All the other religious books of the world, the Quran, all these religious books, the code of Hammurabi, they're all lacking prophecy. Why is that? Because if you make a prophecy, it doesn't come true. You can discount everything else that it says. But the Bible very clearly contains one-third prophecy and one third of those, two thirds of those prophecies have come true. There's a remaining one third that's going to happen. We're going to look at that this morning. 
If you have your Bible, chapter 38 of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 38. Now I say like I normally am going through the book of Exodus. We're taking a little break right now. By the way, if you were to look at Ezekiel, uh, uh, Exodus chapter uh, 35, 36, 37, it deals a lot with the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle of Meeting. It is interesting that God will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. The Bible's very clear about this. The occultic religions of the world believe God lives in their box. (laughs) Isn't that kooky? But the Bible says he will live inside of you. See, that's why I'm saying, if you're not a Christian, you need to be one because God wants to live inside of you and show you why you're here on this earth, not to just occupy space and look from thrill to thrill, but actually say, okay, Lord, what will thou have me to do? As we go to Ezekiel chapter 38, looking at the days I believe are in the future here and very possibly in the very near future. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and open our eyes to the time that we are in, God, so that we will not find this day hitting us unaware. Lord, for every person listening that's a Christian, may you strengthen their faith. A person listening today that is not turn their life over to you, that you would compel them by your Holy Spirit that this is their day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is speaking of Ezekiel, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now this is interesting here, because right off we find, put your face against Rosh, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Meshach and Tubal are the ancient names of Toblanks, Russia, and Moscow. Rosh is literally Rasha. If you talk to your your uh, uh, people that study scripture, they'll tell you that this is the ancient land of Russia. And he says, I'm against, thus saith the Lord, behold, I'm against you, Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now, God's against them. Why would God be against them? Have you noticed Russia doing anything that's kind of immoral in the last week or so? Shelling babies, innocent children, moms? They're not even discretionary of what they're bombing. They're bombing people that they're not even at war with, that never did anything to them. But you see, there's a gain to be had. The nations of the world right now, by the way, friends, are not doing anything with Russia. Have you noticed that? Oh, they talk, they talk. You don't see anything happening. Do you realize that, oh, we're going to give Ukraine um, billions of dollars. And at the same time, we're still buying Russian oil for billions of dollars. We're supporting both sides. Isn't that weird? Now, what I'm saying is this. You're going to see as we look at this, why this is a thing. There is nothing right now. I've been really studying this. With There is nothing when Russia is done with Ukraine to take Poland, to take anything else. There is no deterrent because everybody's scared of Russia's nuclear capabilities. So basically, you can be the bully on the block if you got the biggest stick. And right now, they got a pretty big one. Not to mention China with their eye on Taiwan. And once that goes, as Japan tried to take the whole um, Central Pacific, Micronesia, and all the islands... We're living in a time different than any other time. Now, there are people that say, oh, since our fathers fell asleep, all things remain as they are. Really? When you stop to think that man has always used every weapon he's ever invented, if you're not a Christian, that would cause you to stay awake at night 
perpetually. Because that is something you need to fear. Now, here's what the Bible says. Peter, remember him? The one that said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'm willing to go and die with you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny you know me three times. And remember, just as it was said, Peter denied the Lord three times. The Bible says when he heard the cock crow the second time, he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus, after the resurrection, after he was crucified and alive, we remember Jesus caught up with Peter on the Sea of Galilee. Interestingly enough, he was cooking him fish. I like fish. I also like corned beef and cabbage, which we're going to have in a few minutes. In fact, of all our our, uh, dinners that we have here the first Sunday of every month, this one is my favorite. Because, oh, it's the luck of the Irish it is. Ah, lassie, you got to stay and have a portion. Uh, It's really good. But Jesus is cooking Peter fish. And Jesus looks at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? He said, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. It was weird. Jesus asked him, do you love me more than that deep, intimate fellowship love? And Peter responds, yeah, you know, I'm fond of you, Lord. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know, I phileo you. I'm fond of you. And so then Jesus comes down to Peter's level and says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. It is interesting to me that Jesus did not look at Peter and say, Captain Flake. But rather, he came down to his level so that he would grow into that agape love for Jesus that I believe Peter had when finally he was crucified upside down in Rome. You see, I believe that God causes us to grow in him. And though I may not understand everything at the time, God brings about that purpose, that place that he wants us to be in. We oftentimes think we're stronger than we really are. We think that we uh, won't fall, we won't fail. You know, a lot of people say, well, I accept the Lord, but I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, first of all, you will. Not as an excuse to do so, but as just part of our own sin nature. But the Bible tells us, John says in the epistles of John chapter 1, if we sin, we have an advocate, we have an attorney with the Father, which is Christ Jesus, to forgive us. That's good news. In other words, restoration is yours in spite of our failures. And I've shared this so many times. Jesus is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. We look at our... Life sometimes we go, oh, I messed it up so bad. That's why people kill themselves. Isn't it weird? You go out by the bridge out here and they got a hotline on there for people that have the thought of jumping off the bridge. People are troubled. Friends, we're going to see more of it in the days to come as our way of life changes. Right now in Oregon, I saw some signs yesterday, gasoline is three fifty-six a gallon. You say, well, what's that mean? That means hyperinflation like you have never seen. You're going to need each other in the days to come. You need to be part of a family where we can watch out for one another. Because you might say, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, here's some beans. Hey, I, I, I need to get to the doctor. I don't have any way to get there. Well, here, I've got some gas. We don't know what is waiting us. I want to believe that the Lord is going to come back and take us home before it gets too nutsy. But I don't know. Because I find oftentimes in the midst of trials globally, this is when people turn to God the most. And thank God we're still here to point them to him. 
Let's read on. So yeah, Magog. God says, I'm against you. Why would God be against him? I think their cruelty over the years, the gulags, the SS, passing so many laws that you could be arrested for anything, just walking down the street. Oh, you stepped on a crack. That's illegal. And you're whisked off to a gulag because you're considered to be a political dissident that they don't want to deal with or executed. And he says to them, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army. Horses, horsemen, splendidly clothed in great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. It's interesting, this word for horses is uh, the, the, the word sus, which means to... Skip for joy. In other words, like a horse, when it's excited, rears up on its two back legs. He said, they're going to be going in, skipping for joy. Now notice, this war has never yet happened in the history of the world. It's going to happen. And this is the nations that will join in with this. Persia, which is Iran... Iraq, and Afghanistan. Now, you notice this. The very first one that's listed is Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan, Persia. Do you know what happened last summer? When the United States abandoned our attack against the terrorists there, we left Afghanistan with a hundred billion, with a B, Armament. We left them with our some of our state-of-the-art brand new Apache helicopters, a brand new billion-dollar airbase. All we just walked away from it. Now this is weird because you realize these weapons in turn can be reverse engineered by China, Russia, or anybody else, or just used the way they are and used for this battle that we're reading about. Let's look more. He says, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. It is interesting to me that this is going to affect part of Africa as well. Now, when you read this, you realize these are all predominantly Muslim nations, which have sworn the destruction of Israel. When Iran was refining their ICBMs, their intercontinental ballistic missiles, when they were testing them, they had wrote on the side in Hebrew, and I saw this, death to Israel on the side of their ICBM as it was launched. Friends, they're not developing these weapons to go out and polish them on a Sunday afternoon and say, ooh, aren't they pretty? They plan on using them. Now, when we stop to think about this, you can be like the world with your head in the sand or not have a clue what's going to happen. The Bible says, and God almost brags about this in other prophecies, see, I've told you beforehand. This is what makes the Bible different than all the other religious books in the world, is prophecy. And with such accuracy, which is so amazing. He says... Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, golly, no, not that Gomer. Gomer. This is parts of the Baltic countries. Turkey, the, the area between the Caspian, the Black Sea, all that area, all heavily Muslim, all of its troops, the house of Tagara, far from the north, all of its troops, and many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that have gathered about you and guard for them. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. Whenever you see in the latter years, that means in the time we're in. Now, we're going to get a little bit more descriptive so people know that this battle has never happened before. When we get it, get down to the land of the unwalled villages. Up to about 300 years ago, the strength of your city, your country, was in your walls. 
Then with modern warfare, they realized walls weren't such a good idea. But that was the idea of the wall around the city, the moat and all those kinds of things, the towers. Well, he says here, it'll be in the last days, latter years. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which has long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell. The word here is safety, but really the word is confident. They're dwelling confidently in the original language. Now, going back to Ezekiel 37, the nation of Israel scattered, brought back in their homeland. Now that they're back in their homeland, there's going to be a desire to destroy it. Now, he says, You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops, and many people with you. Thus saith the Lord God on that day, shall come to pass that your thoughts will arise in your mind. And you will make an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up to the land of the unwalled villages. And I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited again, and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock, goods, and dwell in the midst of the land. Wow, they're coming down to take. You know, I've shared this many times, but Margaret Thatcher said the problem with communism is it works until you run out of everybody else's money. Well, these countries are running out of money. So they look for what they can take. Well, the Ukraine was a ripe peach, ready to take. But the Bible says God's going to pull them like a hook. When you stop to think that one of the greatest natural gas reserves now that Russia has been supplying to all of Europe, they found another great natural gas deposit off the shore of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea, which is within Israel's uh, protected uh, uh, borders in the water. They have a right to all that natural gas. Now you're saying, well, why is that important? Because it's competition. When you realize that these countries need cash, it doesn't bother them to come and take a nation that's at peace. Friends, right now, the Ukraine was at peace. They weren't fighting with Russia. They might have had some border skirmishes and things like that. I I won't deny that. But to invade a nation and bomb and shell babies and and children and and women, they're targeting... uh, They're targeting... um, Apartment complexes, not nuclear facilities, not, well, they did that, but I'm saying not uh, just military facilities. They're carpet bombing the cities. So what's to stop them from taking Israel? The Bible says the places that were desolate now inhabited. Do you realize they, they invented a thing called drip irrigation system, which we use here in Idaho because we have a, a, a low rainfall. We have the same problem. We're in a desert. And so many places here use drip irrigation. That was invented in Israel because they didn't have the water. But when we stop to look at Israel is the fourth largest exporter of fruit in the world, You begin to realize this little country, the size of New Jersey, now supplies food to so many people around the world. Hey, it's a real catch. It's a real, it's something worth taking. He says, Sheba and Dedan, merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come down to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty and to carry away the silver and gold and to take away the livestock and goods and to take great plunder? By the way, they say they don't do anything. By the way, Sheba and Dedan are um, the area of Saudi Arabia. 
Now, Saudi Arabia and Israel made a peace treaty. And it's interesting that who would ever dream that Arab country would side with Israel, which caused then a lot of the problems with the other Arab nations. So he goes on and he says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, On the day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come out of your place, out of the far north. It is noteworthy, if you get a map, global map, Moscow is almost straight um, directly north of Jerusalem, out of the far north. You and many people with you, all of them riding on horses. And in the Hebrew, the word here is leapers. Now, I don't know what a leaper is. And I don't know how Ezekiel saw all this. But he said that there'll be leapers. And uh, it can be a translated bird or planes. You know, something we'd probably use today. A great company and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations, notice nations. You say, well, why is that important? Because if it was the during the time of the Roman Empire, it would have just said nation, because they control everything. Or the Persian Empire, it would have just said Persia. But it says nations, plural, may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets Israel, who prophesied for years that in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against my land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken surely in that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all things that creep, creep on the earth, all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall will fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God, and every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him into judgment, pestilence, bloodshed, and I will rain down on him on honest troops and on the many people with them, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and it will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Wow. You want to know what's going to happen to Russia? (laughs) This is it. You want to know how the Antichrist will be able to convince the Islamic community to go with his former religion. I believe that the Arab nations will suffer such a humiliation that Allah did not deliver Israel into their hands, that they're going to be groping for something. And I think the Antichrist is going to come along and offer them consolation in their religion and saying, hey, come and join us. The Bible says the tribulation begins not with the rapture of the church, not with the collapse of America or the American dollar. The Bible says the tribulation begins with a peace treaty signed with Israel and from what we gather, the Antichrist. What would this peace treaty be? Well, many people believe because based upon other things around the temple in Israel, there's been two of them, Solomon's temple and Herod's temple. Even Jesus said, as they were walking out and they were commenting on the great stones in Herod's temple, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left upon another. They'll all be thrown down. Now, why would he say that? Because the temple, for some reason, has some kind of prophetic clock with Israel and the Jewish people. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 11... 
John was told to go measure the temple in Jerusalem. Friends, it's not there right now. It ain't there. The Bible says, though, to go measure it. And he was specifically told, do not measure the outer court of the temple. It has been given to the Gentiles. Now, in the time of Solomon's temple, the outer court is as far as the Gentiles could come in in order to worship Yahweh and to go into the inner place where the temple was. And so the outer court belonged to the Gentiles. And basically, it just goes back and they own it. There on the dome, where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, Israel, there's about 15, 11 to 15 acres north and east of the Dome of the Rock Mosque of nothing but trees and sidewalks. Mysteriously, no one knows why. It's just vacant land up there on top of the mount. If Israel was to go today, and they have tried this in the past, to set the cornerstone to build their third temple... It would cause such an Arab-Israeli war. The Bible doesn't even speak of it. But I believe what happens is the Antichrist, this great man of peace, the world's going to call him, will negotiate a peace treaty where the Jew, the Arab, and the Christian can all worship on the same mount together and thus further the Chrislam that he's going to inflict upon the world. There's going to be a one world monetary system. We know this, the Bible says this. In so much that it's instituted that you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything unless you have the mark on your hand or on your forehead identifying you as a world player. Of course, it's a counterfeit mark because God puts his mark on 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel found in Revelation chapter 7 the Bible says are his servants well why are they his servants where's the church friends I believe the church is gone Jesus spoke he said I come as a thief and I come quickly watch and be ready so that day doesn't hit you unawares I do believe in the rapture of the church. I do believe that God has not appointed his bride, you saints, to his wrath. And so that's why when Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, Matthew chapter 24, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Friends, I believe we're on the verge of Jesus taking his church home. Every day that he doesn't is one more day. You can let your light shine. You can be about your father's business. If you're not a Christian, you're running out of time. Because the Bible says those left behind will face a world that little in life has ever prepared you for. In fact, it is so bad. It says in Revelation 16, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. That's how bad it's going to be. In other words, the tribulation really should have went on much longer than that. But God realized that all the world would be wiped out. The Bible says every living thing in the sea dies. This is why I know replacement theology is not true. According to them, all of Revelation, this battle, everything happened in 70 AD. It didn't. Revelation says every living thing in the sea dies. The sea turns to blood. Global famine is everywhere. Two-thirds of the world's population is dead. You think the pandemic that we've all been through here has been bad. What is coming is nothing compared to what the Bible says. Now you say, Mike, you're a gloom and doom dude. No, I'm not. Because Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Friends, that's the good news. I want to know, are you going? If the rapture was to come today, do you have that relationship with God? Well, you got to get out and earn it by doing a lot of religious things like, you know, wearing blue and selling Twinkies and selling flowers in airports. No, it's a free gift. Now, people have oftentimes wondered, how can a prayer change my destiny? Friends, it's when you turn your life over to the God who made you. I don't know how signing your signature on a piece of paper, on a title deed, on a piece of property, your house or whatever it might be, 
will allow you to move into a new property. Or when you sign that deed, you no longer own the property. Just a signature, just a little piece of ink on a piece of paper changes your ownership on your car, on the pink slip, or on a title deed. How a prayer, when you pray saying, Lord, you know, God hears everything. Nothing takes God by surprise. You say, well, God, you don't know how bad I've been. God says, yes, I do. Still love you. God is bigger than the things you've done wrong. Only God, our God, can take the bad things and turn them around and make them for your good. There's a battle coming, friends, this one we're reading about. I don't know whether we're going to see this battle in the newspaper in maybe a month or two. Or we'll be in heaven and get a heavenly view of it. I don't know. But I know we are in a different time than ever before. They said what six, seven, ten dollar a gallon gasoline is going to do to our economy will be beyond anything that we know. Our whole standard of living is going to change. And we have to be aware of where we're at time-wise in God's word. And my question to you today, apart from everything else, is are you right with God? Have you have you had your sins forgiven? Well, you can't do anything to have your sins forgiven. The only thing we can do is say, God, take away my sin. And the Bible says he will if you'll ask. That's the good news. See, in other words, when we go to heaven, it isn't because we really tried hard. Because if I get to heaven and I find out I didn't do enough, it's too late to do anything about it. But as a Christian, I go to heaven, you go to heaven, not because we're good. It's because Jesus was good and we are clothed in his righteousness. Friends, that's what makes the difference. That's the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. Have you heard the gospel? Sounds all religious. But you know what the word gospel means? The good news. That you go to heaven, not because you're good, but because he was good. That's the gospel. That's why Paul says we have the assurance of salvation. Because it isn't based on you and me. It's based on him. So if you've been trying to earn your way to heaven, if you've been trying to get real religious to impress God, ooh, I'm impressed. Perfect attendance every Sunday. Ooh, that ought to mean something on Judgment Day. No. Doesn't mean anything. There's only one way we can be saved, and that's when we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This morning, if you've never prayed... And ask Christ into your life. We're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life. This battle we're reading about right here. We can see it all lining up. We see extremely advanced weapons. Delivered into the hand of the old Persian Empire through Afghanistan. We can see the hatred that Iran already has for Israel. Putin said last week, I do not recognize the territories of Israel, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, the Sinai, or the, uh, the uh, place down in the southern part of Israel. I don't recognize those as Israel territory. Friends, that's saber rattling. And he'll come down in the name of Islam and in the name of the Arabs to correct this terrible... See, Russia doesn't have a lot of friends right now in the world, if you've noticed. But if he can befriend the Arabs and do something that they have always wanted to do, but they can't, and that's destroy Israel, that will put him in good light with them. Friends, we are at a time different than any other time. I know people have said, well, you know, I'll accept the Lord when I'm you know, 90 years old, I got, I got more tubes in me than the spaghetti factory, you know. <sighs> Do you want to accept Jesus? Yes. <sighs> okay. Amen. <sighs> I'm out. Why would you do that and rob yourself of the ability to lay up treasure for yourself in heaven? That's going to follow you forever. The temporal reward we get on this earth is here and then it's gone. 
but what you do for God in heaven will last forever. This morning, we have communion, and you're all invited to have communion. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you not to probably have it, because it doesn't mean anything to you. The cup, which represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you, you haven't allowed that blood to cover your life and take away your sins. And the bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken so you can be healed. And old friends, I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about your memories. I'm talking about your thoughts, your ability to love, your ability to be loved. All those things are damaged. Have you ever heard somebody's name that burned you years ago? And when you hear it, you go, you need to be healed. I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. But I'm saying if you're not hurting them by your, by your grudge, you're hurting yourself. And when I realize how much God's forgiven me for God, I want to be in the position to forgive them when they ask for forgiveness as well. It changes us. And now all of a sudden, instead of being Mr. Frumpy, you can be, hey, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And that's how God works. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray, then we're going to have communion, and then we're going to go have some really good corned beef and cabbage. If you've never accepted Christ, let's pray. If you're distant from God, you've believed the lies of the world. Maybe you went to church when you were a kid and you knew Jesus, but the lies of the world seem to be a better way to go. And now you go, I don't want that anymore. You pray. Let's see what God will do. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry for the way that I have lived. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And so now give me new life as well. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me power from on high. And Lord, thank you that I never have to be scared of dying ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.